Amen. Well, thank you so much. Can you give them a hand, man? They put so much work into pulling that off for us. Well, I'm really glad you're here today. If this is your first time, uh, then we're glad that you are joining us. I want to welcome those online as well. As you worship with us, as you start to feel more comfortable coming back, we look forward to that day, but we're worshiping with you in a different way today online, and um, we're really thankful, and we miss you, and we look forward to the day we can be together. If you're new, there's a Connect card in front of you. Uh, if you're old school like me, you can write on it and turn that in in one of the boxes or at the table. If you're new school, you can flip it over and take a picture of a square, and somehow that helps you connect and I don't know how all that works, but that's how it works. So uh, you, you can let us know who you are. You know, it's really hard to visit a new church, but this is a great day to visit on Easter. And, um, and it, this is a really great season of this church to visit because we're an 80-year-old church, but we relocated, relocated here a year ago. And so there's a lots of new people. So don't, you ever been to a church experience and you're like, oh, I think we're the only new people. <laughs> like, so you're not that in this experience, and so I'm glad that uh, you've taken a chance. You know, I'm always, I'm always pastor here, but when I go on vacation, I'm just some random person, and I get nervous, like, oh, man, the church is going to be strange, and I'm not going to know anybody. And so I just want to say thanks for taking a risk and coming, uh, coming here, and we're glad that you uh, have joined us. I'm going I'm to take you through today what it means to have a risen Savior and how that changes everything. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 28. If you've got a Bible, or you can look at it on the screen. And here's what it says. It says in verse 1, after the Sabbath... At the dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you were looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said, so come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Now I have told you. Verse 8, so the, the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, they clasped his feet, and they worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Let us pray. Lord, today we pray that you would open this word to our hearts, God. I pray for those that have uh, taken a chance and risk coming to church and are uh, sitting here wondering, Lord, I pray that you would speak to them. For those who call this their church home, Lord, may you speak to them as well. God, may you be real to us in this moment, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, there's a true story of a, a, a couple named Bill and Blanche, and there's their 50th wedding anniversary, and so they decide to just break the bank and go on a, on a great 50th anniversary trip. And so they, they get themselves there. It was expensive, and they get themselves into housing and hotel and all that stuff. It's expensive, and, and, but they're there. And then you've got to do excursions, right, because that's the fun part of, of going on a big vacation like that. And so they're trying to make sure they can afford it and all that kind of stuff. And so there's this helicopter ride, which will take them around the island, and they think, well, that's pretty cool. I mean, we're not getting any younger, so let's try it. And so uh, they say, okay, let's, let's go. So they go to the, the helicopter pad, and they say it's $50. And they say, well, $50 is $50, but it's only 50 bucks. So, okay. So they, they give the money, and they, they, um, they get to the pilot. They meet him, and he says, hey, here's the deal. If you can ride this helicopter tour without making a sound, I'll give you your money back. The ride will be on me. I said, well, that, 
that's cool. I mean, it's only 50 bucks, but that's, that's pretty cool. So they jump into the helicopter, and um, they strap themselves in, get ready to go, and he takes, takes off, and then suddenly he just takes off. And he hits left, and then he hits right, and tries, turns a little bit, shakes it, and turns a little bit, and shakes it, and almost flips upside down and just goes straight down and back straight up, and, 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 and they're just throwing them all over the place. It's just, I mean, just, just brutal, and he just flies around the whole island doing this whole time. He finally slows down, he comes back in, he lands, and he says, man, i got to give it to you. You guys did a fantastic job. I didn't hear a peep from the back seat. And, um, man, I'm, I'm really shocked. I really tried to, to make it so that you'd have to pay that 50 bucks, but as I'm a man of my word, I give you $50 back. And Bill says, I almost said something when Blanche fell out, but 50 bucks is 50 bucks. <laughs> right? See, that's a story that, 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 that started out good but ended bad. I want to tell you a story that started out bad and ends really good for you. It was 2,000 years ago, and it was in Israel in the city of Jerusalem, and it's about a man named Jesus of Nazareth who allowed himself to be beaten and then crucified and nailed to a Roman torture device called a cross. And he suffered a horrible, miserable death. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, And three days later, he miraculously and gloriously rose from the dead. And we are here today to celebrate a risen Lord Jesus Christ who got up out of that grave and walked out and and waits to return for us. Now, I know today we've had hundreds of people come through, and out of a crowd this size, there are people who believe, call this their church home. I'm so thankful you're here today. And then there there are some who, uh, you're curious, like, Maybe you're spiritually wondering about things, and, or, or maybe, maybe coming to church is the thing to do on Easter, you know, and if, you're, if that's you, I'm glad you're here. And maybe somebody invited you, like a friend, coworker, or family member, and, and maybe you don't know much about Jesus, so this is a great place to be, really. I mean, people feel like they have to know about Jesus before they come to church. It's really not the, the case. You just we are glad you're here. And you may have grown up Jehovah's Witness or Muslim, or um, you, may, you just may have grown up playing pagan. That's okay. We're, we're glad you're here. You may have been coerced today. Any, anybody coerced by a wife that begged them or a kid that begged them or a husband? Or, and, uh, and your gift today was that you came to church. Well, I'm glad you're here. Maybe you've been driving by the church. You're like, I've seen this church going up and, you know, what's going on? I'm glad you're here. You know, I'm glad you finally took a chance to come inside and, and, and be with us. No matter where you are, we've been praying over these seats that God would make himself real to you today as we celebrate uh, Easter, and that you would, you would finally understand maybe for another time or the first time um, what he's done for you. Now, if you're like uh, most people that come to Easter, they don't actually exactly know what Easter is. I mean, they kind of have the gist, the cross, and it's kind of like mm, tomb, I think. And, you know, they don't re- most Americans don't really know. Um, in fact, their survey was done by um, Statistic Brain. 67% of Americans recognize Easter as a religious holiday, but only 42% can connect it to the celebration of the resurrection of Christ. So if we're typical, less than half of us would even understand about the resurrection of Christ. It's, just, it's crazy to me because we spend a ton of money on Easter. I mean, Americans spend a ton of money on Easter. In 2019, $15.9 billion was spent on Easter, right? $2.1 billion of that was candy alone. Isn't that wild? I got foster kids, and one of them has, was gifted from their parents two, um, two like, Easter bunny, like, uh, what do you call it, like Easter packages, you know, the ones that are all wrapped up, 
two of the exact same thing. I'm going to eat one of those. I'm just going to tell you. So I'm just confessing. But you don't need two. You know what two means when, you, when you're three years old and you eat two of those? No nap. And I need them to take a nap today. You know, I'm tired. I've been working. So, so but, but we spend a ton of money on that kind of stuff, right? So, so 16 billion jelly beans were manufactured for Easter. 16 billion. And if you line them up end to end, they would wrap around the globe twice. Right? We bought 90 million chocolate bunnies. 90 million. Free of charge, uh, one of the statistics was 76% of Americans say the proper way to eat a chocolate bunny is to start with the ears. I don't know what you do. That's what I do. So what does this mean? When we reveal, uh, what, when we talk about Easter, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about eyewitnesses who, who knew that the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus happened and they recorded it. And you might say, well, okay, so you're going to turn to the Bible and make your case for the Bible. But, but really, outside of the Bible, there were 39 different uh, texts from the first and second century which have described the birth, the life, the miracles, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not to any bit of benefit of their own, just recording history that the Jew, that Jewish and Roman and Greek historians and scholars have recorded Christ and his miracles and his death and his resurrection. But the best and most accurate account is in the Bible, and it's the eyewitness accounts of Christ. So, so it tells us that Easter starts at the cross. And so as Jesus is being led to the cross, on his way there, they beat him mercilessly. They beat him. They, they had um, whips which had bone and, and glass in them, and they would whip him. And the whipping wasn't the worst part. It was when it grabbed the flesh or, or grabbed, grabbed the bone and pulled it and broke. And they could get you right to death. The Romans had figured out how to torture. They get you right to death, and then they back off. And so then he gets to the cross, and they figured out how to torture you on this torture chamber of a cross, and they, they could get you right to the point of death. They knew how to put the nails in the right places to hold you up, and they knew how to eventually break your legs to make you suffocate, but it was a long, painful, excruciating process. Now, hear, hear this. Crucifixion is not what happened to Jesus. It's what he allowed to be done to him. You have to get that. It's God's plan because before Jesus was crucified, Jesus said, I lay down my life that I might take it up again. In Acts, the, um, the writer Peter records, Jesus was handed over to be crucified by the set and purpose and ordination of God's knowledge, and God raised him from the dead. In other words, he allowed it to be done to himself, and it was God's plan the whole time. And, and Jesus actually tells his his disciples earlier, I'll be, betrayed. I'll be betrayed into the hands of evil men. I'll be whipped and judged and unjustly spit on and mocked, and, and I'll, be, I'll be crucified, but I will rise again. And it blew their minds. And Jesus dies, and he's placed in this tomb. And we know he died a real physical death. We don't think that he, he um, had a really bad day on a cross, and when they put him into the tomb, it was cold enough, and it revived him. We don't think that his body was switched out with Judas's. Uh, we, don't, we don't think that the disciples stole his body at some point. These are all theories which have tried to explain away the resurrection. We understand that God reveals through historical record and the scriptures that Jesus died on a torture device, laid in a guarded tomb with a massive stone in front of it, and then walked out of that grave 
rose from the dead and sits at the right hand of God the Father praying for you even now. And so we believe what the eyewitnesses recorded in the, in the, in the books of, of uh, the Bible because a lot of them saw it, recorded it, and eventually died defending it. And they wrote, this, 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 is, this is not a dead man. He is the God man who lives forever and ever and ever. So the question becomes, okay, Jesus says he lays down his life and to pick it up again. Then why would he do that? One word. Love. Love for you and for me. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave us one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us, and this, while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4, 10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Man, it's all about love. It is, it is what compelled him. It is what kept him on the cross think about this. You look really good today. Like, I watched you walk in. You look really good. You look sharp. Your kids look sharp. Your families look good together. Like, it, is, it was great, man. We just had a great day and thankful for you. Your worst moment would probably make me come off that cross if I was trying to save you. I mean, at the height of the pain, I'm, I love you a lot, but I'd probably get off that cross. And yet God loved you enough to send Jesus with the plan that Despite how bad you are in your worst moment or how good you've been, he stays on the cross because he's compelled by love. And in that moment, he shows that he's got the power over sin and death and that he wants to rescue you. What, you say, what? Rescue me? I'm good. I, I don't need any rescue, and I'm fine. No, no, you're not fine. <laughs> you're not fine. And think of it like this. If you think you're fine, you're like, I don't need a rescue and I'm good to go. Uh, you, you've bought into two things, two, two probably lies. One is you've looked around at everybody else around you and you've picked the people that you think are doing worse than you and you've judged yourself against them. I know you look holy today, but you know you've done that before. You look at them and you think, well, she's the, the biggest gossip at work and you know if you tell her something, you might as well just told everybody else and I'm better than that. Or, you know, he's cutthroat at work, and he will just chop you down, and he will step right on you to get something. And I'm not that bad. Like, at least I have a soul. Or, you know, at least I take care of my kids. Or, at least I'm not addicted to whatever, you know, at least I'm not a deadbeat. At least I haven't given up on this. At least I've got this together. At least, And you start to compare yourself to who you think you're doing better than, and you buy into this lie that now suddenly you don't need to be rescued. The other lie is probably the biggest lie that's ever been perpetuated on mankind, and that is that mankind is inherently good. You think to yourself, I'm good at heart. Well, the Bible completely disagrees with you. I still love you, but the Bible doesn't think that you started out good. It says that we are all born with a sin nature, and because of that sin nature, we've all sinned, and in that way, we need a Savior because of our behavior. We're sinners from childhood. I mean, really, think about it like this. You don't have to teach little Johnny how to hoard toys, how to steal other people's snack, how to, how to say, I don't want to, to the teacher. He's got all that on his own. You don't have to teach little Sally how, how not to push other children or not to bite them or not to break in line. She figured that out all on her own. Now, here's the truth. If you remember nothing else, remember this. Kids are sinners, too. 
just short ones, right? And therefore, since you've been a kid before, you know nobody taught you some of the dumb things. Nobody taught you the bad things. It's inherited from, from being born. In my house, I have five kids that are currently living with us. From the first that wants to please and wants to really do everything you want them to, to, to the fifth one who doesn't seem to really care what I think at all. And everybody in between. You, you know, they, they sometimes really get it right. Some of them are, are less perfect than others, but no matter, one wrong move, and they transfer to the center category. And all of them have made a mistake at this point. The Bible says we are all sinners. Romans chapter 3 says, none righteous, not one. Isaiah says that the punishment intended for us was placed on Jesus and by his stripes, we are healed. You don't, you don't have to look far into the heart of men or women to see really ugly stuff. In fact, I don't have to look any further than the mirror to know that there are things which just don't reflect Christ or that I, that I would want him to even see. And so when, when I see things like rage and jealousy and greed and murder and, and always putting one group down to raise one up or, or, or looking inward to get ahead or, or when I steal or lie or when I see people steal or lie or do that, I think to myself, we are basically accept that you are a sinner. To basically admit as a first step to recovery, if you want to say it like that, that you're not inherently good, that you, you actually do have a sinful condition and that you accept his work on the cross that you believe he rose from the dead and you would give him control of your life to have relationship with him. That's what God wants for you, to believe on his son, Jesus Christ, and to spend eternity with him, both having a full life now and one to come. I talk to my kids a lot because they, they, they think, you know, my dad's a pastor and so we're religious. No, no, I want you to religiously pursue a relationship. At the end of the day, if they're like, we were very religious, I'd be disappointed. I want them to say we have a strong and beautiful relationship with Jesus Christ. He has saved us and forgiven us and walks with us and forgives us when we get it wrong and empowers us to get it right. And he's transformed my life. And man, that's the story of my life. I wasn't a terrible person, but I wasn't real great either. And so God stepped into my life and revealed my sin, and I admitted it, and I acknowledged it, and I gave my life to Christ, and he changed me. And I know so many of your stories that he's done the exact same thing for you, which is why Easter becomes such a celebration for us. And the tomb is empty, right? We, we celebrate this risen Savior. The tomb is empty, that God has given authority, this to sign over sin and over death. Honestly, empty things are not typically good. I mean, I mean empty things are usually discouraging or frustrating. I'll give you an example. I go to my refrigerator. I have five children in my house from 12 to 1. And when I go to my refrigerator, I open the door. And because of different needs of the house, there are seven milk containers in my refrigerator. Seven. That'll make you lose your mind right there. All I see is dollar signs. Seven containers of milk. And there's, there's regular milk, and there's 1% milk, and there's 2% milk, and there's there's whole milk, and there's organic whole milk, which is like a mortgage payment, you know? Like, Lord, have mercy. I mean, so, so, so okay, I grab one, and I, and I get ready to go take it to make some cereal, and it is bone dry. So I throw it away. No kidding. I reach in for another one, bone dry. 
Like, I think they like, I think they're washing it out, like drying it out and putting it back. Like, it's so dry. Like, what, what in the world? So I finally reach for one, and I get it. And I get one of the cheaper ones because I'm a dad now. Like, I'm like, close the door, turn off the lights. And when I pour milk, I think this is like $2 of milk right here. You know, <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm at that stage of life. And so I get some milk. Okay, great. I go to the, go to the pantry. No joke. I get the Frosted Flakes because that's my favorite cereal. And when I open it, there's not even a bag in the box. I mean, they have literally taken, I think, like a paper towel and wiped all the crumbs out, made it pristine inside that box, and put it back. So I'm going to be completely honest with you. It was a pre-Easter moment because it's a stressful week for us in the, in the church world. So I just said, I can't even get a box of cereal in my own family's kitchen. I can't even get one in my own house. And I heard one of my kids say, well, you ate it. Like, I didn't even eat This is what made me mad right there when they said I ate all of it. I didn't eat any of it, right? I just got blamed for it. I bought it, didn't eat any of it, and got blamed for eating it. So my wife came home uh, the other day. She had two boxes of Frosted Flakes, and she tried to shame me in my house. She took a marker and said, don't eat for big pastor slash baby. You know, anyway, so, so, so I was like, I can't be shamed in my own house, so I flipped it open. And I drew eyeballs, and I said, I can see you. <laughs> right? I'm not kidding, man. Don't, don't touch my cereal. I'll tell you honestly, because they're not in here right now. I'll tell you this, this is the truth. Because they, they decided to, to honor that box and not touch it. I ate theirs first and then ate mine. No, no joke. Like, I'll get you. I'll get you. So imagine you're, um, you're a husband, and you're going to get into your wife's uh, SUV to drive it. What do you usually find? That it's on the empty, ain't it? That's a mystery I can't even comprehend, you know? Let me ask you this. This is a little more serious. Maybe you stand at the, at the marriage altar and you give your vow to somebody and it's empty promises. You find yourself not, not receiving what they had promised to vow to you. Or you have a relationship that goes south and you thought, I thought we were really good friends, but that somehow didn't translate into real life. Emptiness hurts. What about when you sit at the table today for Easter, um, and maybe there's a, table, uh, a chair that's empty? Maybe somebody left. Maybe somebody passed away this year. Uh, let's just get real for just a, just a half a second. What about your life? Is it empty? I mean, you, you, got, you got all the things going on. You look really good, but is it, is it really going well? I mean, really? Like, is it well? Like, you could say it is well with my soul. People have empty lives. I've never seen so much emptiness in a season. Depression's way up. Depression's not a sin, but, it, but people have, have let themselves get to points um, where they never thought they'd be, and they're just so frustrated. Emptiness be, begins to feel like darkness. Suicide is up. Hopelessness is up. We are starting to applaud evil in, in rampant ways. And, and when things go dark, life starts to seem meaningless. And sometimes we learn too late that somebody who had this great life who had all seemed like they had it all together seemed like they had everything anybody would ever want suddenly was struggling in a way that that they must have thought life was meaningless we find out way too late how they felt the Whitney Houston's the Heath Ledger's the Robin Williams the Philip Seymour Hoffman's at the heart of this message I, I want you to hear this people who with great appearances have died empty lives Empty is bad, except in this story, where, where empty is not bad. Well, we love you. 
So next week we're starting this series called The Home Run Life. The first service, I couldn't remember it. I was like, ah, I can't remember what series it is. It's going to be great, by the way. So it is going to actually be good. And it, here's what it is. It's on the study of the life of Joseph. And he was a guy who got put into exile and got put with people who didn't understand him. And he had to relay his faith to them. And so the book is, this book is written called The Home Run Life. It's a baseball analogy. And it was a father who was trying to explain to his son how the Christian life worked. And he couldn't figure out a way to tell him. So he explained how the bases worked and then how the world runs the bases also. And they're different. Christians are different, right? And so maybe it's that you need to understand or maybe you need somebody, you need to explain that to somebody in your house or you say, I got somebody that could come with, to church with me and, and, um, and could learn and grow and, and kind of needs to, to grow in their faith. It's going to be a great series, okay? So I want you to, to uh, pray about it and bring somebody with you and come back ready to just jump in to all that God has for us. I want to pray with you real quickly. And um, and I want you to go in the strength and power of our resurrected Christ. Lord, we love you today. Thank you for these people. Thank you for a beautiful Easter, Lord. Uh, This has been a weird year. And last year we we sat on couches and couldn't worship in the way we always had, but you were still real. And so now here we are. And Lord, we get to worship in a way we would prefer. And um, and for those who are online, I pray that you bless them, Lord, as they come back into uh, spaces. Lord, may may you honor their worship today, Lord. I pray, God, that you would go with us. I pray that we be people who amplify the beauty of Jesus into a broken world. And Lord, I pray that we would be reminded that you are rescuing us and that we are standing at the foot of your cross. We're standing at a resurrected and empty tomb, and we're worshiping a Savior, Lord. So, Father, we worship you today in spirit and in truth, and we go today in the, in the name and in the power of Jesus Christ, our Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We love you today. Happy Easter.